Keith Block spent a long career at Oracle before joining Salesforce five years ago. This summer, he became co-CEO alongside Mark Benioff, the company's chairman and co-founder. I spent time with Block at CNBC's Capital at Work event this week in San Francisco, talking strategy, his background, and more. This is Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. I'm John Fort of CNBC. This week, once again, we talk cloud with Keith Block and then with a panel of experts who will tell you which cloud services are the best buy for you. Here's Keith Block. Keith Block. John Co-CEO of Salesforce. Th thanks for sitting down for Fort Knox and CNBC. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me, great to be here. Yeah, the Capital at Work Conference. Um, big focus is going to be on the cloud and, and digital transformation. There's been plenty of action there you guys continue to grow quickly, and you have a big presence in San Francisco. Here's just something I've been wondering I want to talk to you about. The cloud was supposed to make it so that you could work from anywhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, why be the biggest employer in like one of the most expensive places to work? Amazon's doing something similar on the, on the East Coast, putting you know, its new big facilities there. Is it really all about talent? Well, this is obviously a hotbed of innovation. Right here in San Francisco, we have amazing talent, we have amazing schools, people want to be here, we've become a destination company, so this is just a great place for our headquarters. Um, and San Francisco really represents a lot about our culture in terms of giving back to the community. So, we enjoy San Francisco as a headquarters and it's been wonderful for us. How would you characterize where we are in the migration to the cloud? I'm hearing a lot from CEOs and companies about integrating the cloud and making it practical now. You guys just bought MuleSoft not too long ago, which has a big focus there. People are talking about open data. How do you gain an advantage as Salesforce in, in this era? Well, I believe we're in early days. You know, Salesforce, as you know, will be celebrating its 20th uh, uh, anniversary very quickly. And we've had a meteoric rise. We've been the, you know, the fastest enterprise software company, the top five software companies in terms of growth to 10 billion. We just gave our guide to 13 billion. We'll do 16 billion for next year. Uh, but cloud adoption is just in very, very early days. I mean, what we're really seeing right now is this incredible wave, this global phenomenon of digital transformation. And this, of course, takes many, many forms. But you know, over the last few years, when you think about this conversion, this perfect storm of cloud and mobile and data science and artificial intelligence, these amazing technologies uh, that have come together, it's given companies the opportunity to reinvent themselves and reinvent their business models. Think classically of a company that is a B2B company that now wants to become a B2C company. And that's where Salesforce really plays beautifully in terms of getting closer to that customer. Specifically on MuleSoft. Like directly uh, engaging and actually having data about the customer whereas they didn't before. Nike, I guess, would be a good example of that. Well, a great example of is really having the holy grail of the 360 degree view of the customer, where you have information about the customer, where you can personalize the experience for the customer, where the customer feels like they are personally engaged with the companies that they do business with. Now, MuleSoft is an amazing integration technology. We're very, very lucky to have it. And it really completes the wave of digital transformation for our customers in the sense that it's allowing you to unlock data from any source. So think about decades of legacy debt that have been built up and built up and built up. And CEOs want to know how do we access that legacy data in a very agile and a very quick fashion so we can serve it up to our systems of engagement. And that's why the marriage of Salesforce and MuleSoft has really become very compelling for CEOs all over the world. I want to dig a little into your background. Sure. You grew up on the East Coast, mm -hmm. Boston area. Um, I believe your, your mom was interested in education. Uh, my whole family had a, really had a premium on education. It's kind of interesting. 
the story of my mom very, very quickly is that, you know, she grew up in a time, greatest generation, my mom and dad. Uh, and, you know, she was told that, you know, you went to high school and then you were, you know, would get married and you'd raise, you know, children. And, uh, you know, I have two older brothers and my mom said, that's great, but I'm going to go to college. Um, and went to work and also, you know, raised three, three sons. Um, and then when they said, you need to stay home even more, uh, she said, well, I'm going to go back to grad school. Wow. And she got a master's in communication. So, um, you know, I think it was kind of early days. She was a bit of a trailblazer, if you will, for, for uh, what we see today. But, you know, very, very proud of, of what my mom did for sure. And you went to Carnegie Mellon intending to do what? Well, <laughs> you know, that was a long, long time ago on a plane far, far away. Uh, you know, I thought I was going to be an engineer. Um, you know, this is back in the 70s where uh, I thought I was actually going to become a chemical engineer. Because that was a time when, you know, you could be a chemical engineer and find a job very, very quickly. Um, and then uh, there was this wave of technology around computers that I got exposed to. And I thought, you know, I think this is kind of a, a cool thing. Um, and I ended up uh, getting my undergraduate degree in information systems and then went on to get a master's in public policy, which I think is kind of a, a really cool blend. You, you didn't focus on engineering, though, mm. as the specific thing in your career. It's, it's really been more about working with people on problems versus working with code on problems. Mm -hmm. it, was that just in ter your bent? You, you didn't want to be sitting in front of a screen? You, you had to move around? Or what led you in that direction? Well, I had the opportunity uh, as a summer job to work at IBM, which was a, a great experience for me. Uh, and when I got out of grad school, I thought, you know, I really want to be exposed to a broad range of problem solving. So I went to uh, Booz Allen and I did consulting, management consulting. And interestingly enough, after about two and a half years, after I was advising senior executives without really having any practical experience in technology, uh, I thought I'd better get my hands dirty and get back to the technology. Um, so I went to another company, uh, which obviously was Oracle, uh, and I got my hands dirty and, and kind of grew up through that consulting uh, group. But I've always enjoyed solving problems. And when I talk to people, uh, when I talk to customers, I always take the position of what is the business problem that we're trying to solve? What can we bring to the table? Uh, to, uh, to ensure that we're, we're making a difference and that we're adding value. And that's one of the things that I think our company here at Salesforce does very, very well with CEOs. Did you know Mark Benioff at Oracle? I knew of Mark uh, at Oracle. <laughs> we started together back in 1986. I remember seeing Mark on stage with you know, the dry ice and the lab coat and giving a big demonstration. <laughs> um, and then kind of over the years, we, we stayed in touch with each other. Tell me about that, that first meeting when it was really about Salesforce and whether you would come over. Well, a lot of people that I worked with uh, had gone over to Salesforce and they kept on saying, you should come over, you should come over. And then one day I, uh, I picked up my cell phone and uh, there's Mark Benioff. And he said, you really ought to come over here. And he was texting me and, uh, and reaching out to people who were influencers in my life. And um, finally we agreed to meet and we, uh, we had breakfast at a place here in San Francisco called Ella's. And it was uh, almost a three hour breakfast. Um, and we talked about everything, but we really focused on values. Um, values, culture, the importance of values in a company, um, what my values were. We went through priorities, uh, what the enterprise market looked like, the future. It was all good. That's, that's interesting because uh, on my podcast mm -hmm. years ago, a uh, year and a half ago, I had Bruce Chisholm, who's on the board of Oracle. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about the differences between companies because, as you know, he was CEO of Adobe, which mm -hmm. has a very different culture mm -hmm. from Oracle. And he was saying, you know, different things work for different companies the way he described it, and he's on the board, you know, at, at Oracle, it's the top people who really matter mm. and get the resources, and everybody else is pretty much expendable. <laughs> um, so, so two Oracle alums having a values conversation, how was that different? Well, you know, I look back at this and I say, uh, if you think about Mount Rushmore, 
you know, and the faces on Mount Rushmore for technology. I've had the opportunity to work with two uh, people who I think their faces deserve to be up there. Um, very different views, very different cultures. Uh, you know, I, I was at Oracle a long, long time ago. I'm thrilled to be here at Salesforce. Uh, it's a values-based company, uh, very, very strong values. We're convicted on our values. 30,000 people embrace our values every day. You know, it starts with trust. You know, trust is our number one value. I mean, I, in life, uh, in, in the corporate world, in the public sector, if you don't have trust, you really have nothing. Um, and so our customers want to have those trust-based relationships, those strategic relationships. Our second value is customer success uh, because you want to make sure that your, your customers are, are wildly successful. Uh, that, that just builds those deep strategic relationships. Innovation is very important because if you're not innovating, you're not bringing value. Uh, and then equality. You know, we, we feel very, very strongly about equality. We've taken some very, very strong positions on that. But our culture is really, uh, is really born out of these core values, and we embrace them every single day. And, and it's, it's, before I came over to, to um, Salesforce, I heard a lot about the culture uh, and how strong the culture was. But you don't experience it until you immerse yourself Did into you it. Did you buy it? From a distance? Uh, you know, it was hard to buy. Uh, because, it it, I mean, you rarely hear somebody, uh, you know, talk about something that is universally loved. Um, and from a distance, it was, this is, this is, you know, really something, but is it really true? And I found out when I got here, it is absolutely true. Absolutely. We, we talk a lot about the impact of cloud on spending business models, mm -hmm. we talk about the impact of the technology on how technology itself is deployed, but we don't talk as often about the sales process and how different that is. Um, Mark, Mark Benioff called you the best enterprise salesperson in history, basically, when you came on board. So I wonder if you can talk about what's practically different about the process of engaging the customer and keeping the customer and getting the customer to buy more in uh, the, the legacy, more client server model versus the cloud model? Well, look, at the end of the day, what the cloud brings you and what we bring at Salesforce is the ability to be agile, to be nimble, to be flexible, uh, and actually bring something we refer to as a beginner's mind. Okay, so completely taking a step back and saying, how do we reinvent, how do we innovate, how do we go quickly? Uh, and you can move, because of the technology that's available today, you can move far more quickly than you could in you know, the, the, the age of, uh, of, of the legacy system. So it starts with that. It starts with bringing a point of view, speaking the language of industry, uh, understanding that talking to a bank is different than a telecommunications company, and these technologies apply in different ways. Uh, so I think those are very, very fundamental than what you see with some of the legacy technology companies that are still using the same motion. The second is, uh, again, it's all about trust and making sure that you have a trust-based relationship with your customers. The third thing that I would tell you, and, and this is, I think, very, very important, is that we live in a world today where, because of that convergence, that perfect storm of technology that we spoke about earlier, um, we now have this global phenomenon called digital transformation. And the most important aspect of that is the commitment from the CEO. The CEO has become and must be become the chief transformation officer. What does digital transformation really mean though? Because well, at one mm -hmm. level or another, I feel like we've been talking about that forever. It was the dot-com transformation and being on the internet, and then it was you know, the web-based company mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Ajax and mm -hmm. you know, web 2.0. I mean, there's been a, a lot of transforming happen. What, what, what differentiates this one that we're in now? Well, there is a spectrum, if you will, of digital transformation. So there is one end of the spectrum, which I would refer to as tech refresh right, lift and shift. There's nothing really new about that other than there's just new technology available. 
What we're seeing is a revolution around customer engagement and reinvention of business models. There has never been an acceleration of technology to the extent that we're seeing today. Again, you think about cloud, you think about mobile, you think about social, you think about artificial intelligence. You think about technologies like 3D printing. I mean, the difference this time is that there are so many, there are concussive waves that are coming together all at once at such an accelerated pace. The question is, how do you embrace those technologies? As a CEO, how do you understand the importance of technology? Because it can fundamentally alter the business. When you think about the, level, the, the amount of disruption that has taken place, go back 15 years to what Amazon did. They kind of started this party when you think about what they've done in terms of changing business models and disrupting markets. Yeah. Think about the retail industry. Okay, if, you don't, if you're in retail today and you don't have a strategy around digital transformation and engaging with your customers and differentiating, it's going to be pretty tough sledding. What's different, again, this time, is it's not just retail. It's in banking, it's in healthcare, it's in government. You go talk to CEOs all over the world in every industry, in every market, in every segment, in every geography. They have to be able to embrace this technology and change and move. And those that do will have a very, very bright future. And that's what we're trying to help our customers do. I want to talk about the Block Center at Carnegie Mellon. Great. Something that you and your wife uh, have helped establish. I believe it was a $15 million uh, initial gift. I'm sure they're trying to get more out of you. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I engage with my alma mater quite a bit. I understand. You, you, uh, you understand, yes, but, of course. But the, the, the focus of what you put forth was looking at the ways technology impacts society not just for the high-end tech worker or necessarily yep. the coastal community where so much of, of tech is dominant, right. but for everybody else. From your specific vantage point, why is that important to study academically? Well, I was thrilled, my wife and I were absolutely thrilled to be able to, to give some money back to the university um, to focus on this issue around the intersection of technology and policy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, we live in this world where there's this amazing technology and there's a lot of disruption. Um, and that has profound implications around issues like privacy. It has profound implications around uh, the future of work. You know, what will be the future of work? You know, what does it look like? Uh, how will people be using technology in an ethical use? Uh, so uh, these are questions that I felt that the university was uniquely qualified, in my personal opinion, to really uh, kind of bridge the gap between academia, public sector, private sector, uh, and help affect policy not just in the public sector, but also in the private sector, uh, and really raise the level of awareness of what this intersection is all about and what it will mean. I mean, issues like minimum wage, issues like um, economic incentives, where I feel like there are a lot of people in, whether it's Wisconsin or Long Island City, wondering, are we giving away the store to get this employer here? Is it really going to pay for itself? Well, I think there's a couple things. There's obviously the, there's what's out there uh, in terms of people's anxiety and phobia about how technology can be used. Uh, and I think if you bring it to light through education and awareness of what really uh, the good uses and, uh, and positive uses of technology can, uh, can have, I think that's a good thing. Education in general is a good thing. Uh, but little things like access to technology or mobility in, in communities that are underserved. I mean, there was a study that, that the center did uh, uh, partnering up with Uber um, in terms of providing access to those who did not have transportation um, and leveraging technology to uh, help these people find jobs where before they weren't able to find jobs. Little things like that that can be brought to light uh, I think are very, very important and that's why uh, Suzanne and I decided that we were going to fund this. Uh, talk about trade for a moment and um, this at least temporary detente between the U.S. Mm -hmm. and China. How does this need to play out? 
Well, I think it's very interesting times that we live in, and uh, every day there's something new in the press. Uh, everybody has a different opinion. Everybody has their view on certainty and stability. Uh, I think at the end of the day, let's hope that you know reasonable people prevail and that we're doing good things here uh, for the country and for the world. Um, I don't think that we can be short-sighted uh, in terms of just focusing on a particular country, a particular area. We live in a global world. Um, so many things are integrated and intertwined. Uh, that acting on anything in isolation, I think, has to be thoughtful, uh, thoughtfully uh, looked after. U.S. and China, though, big powers, especially as we enter further into 5G, which is going to drive mm -hmm. uh, a lot of cloud usage, a lot of data flowing through systems like Salesforce's. And so I think there's a question around intellectual property in particular. Mm -hmm. There's a question around access to markets, um, whether it's in 2019 or beyond. Where's the place where the U.S. and China need to get to? Well, look, I, I hope that we're finding ourselves in a situation where, you know, we believe in a, in a free trade system and free markets and organizations and governments uh, are cooperating and working well together so that people aren't hurt, so economies aren't hurt. Um, the, great, the great news about technology is that it, re it removes barriers, right? It reduces barriers and it gives people the opportunity to access uh, relevant information, it gives people the opportunity to educate themselves, and all of that I think is good for quality, it's good for the economy, um, and, and let's, again, let's hope that, you know, cooler heads prevail and we figure this thing out with China. Keith Block, thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Good being here. You bet. Thanks. Not many people are getting a cloud for Christmas, but chances are a lot of the stuff you do get is going to require that you buy online storage sometime down the line. You got to back up those holiday photos and videos eventually in case your hard drive fails or your phone gets lost or just to free up space. So today we talk cloud to save you money. This is Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People, and I've got a cloud-savvy crew with me to give you the best insights heading into 2019. We're going to go through your cheapest options first, then go through your biggest bang for the buck. But now, let's talk deals. Joining me to break it down, Rob Marvin is Associate Features Editor at PCMag.com. With me here at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. In L.A., Jefferson Graham is a tech columnist for USA Today, and joining us a little later from Las Vegas, Jordan Novet is a tech reporter for CNBC.com. I know almost every cloud player has a free plan, but let's be honest, none of them are good enough for you to back up your photos and videos from your life if you're more than three years old. Um, maybe if you only got three years' worth of stuff, it could do. First time walking, first food, that sort of thing. But after that, that five gigs is gone. Exactly. So, Rob, um, uh, well, let's not even talk about the absolutely free tier. There's a lot of them that are sort of in this band between 70 and 100 bucks a year. Right. Which are the best? Okay. So it's, it's a fun uh, landscape to break down because like you said, these are services that everybody gets whether or not you even realize that you got it. Um, you're talking about apps and services uh, and the devices that you've already bought come with built-in storage, be it um, you know, uh, Google Drive, which is now Google One, uh, iCloud, um, even now Amazon Drive, Microsoft mm -hmm. OneDrive. So for the most part, they all start around the same price point. And all these, all these players realize that this recurring revenue is big for them. So they've, they've eliminated the uh, unlimited tier. So for the most part, you get that you know, 2 or 5 or 10 gigs um, to start. But that's really just a taste to get you kind of locked into the ecosystem. Uh, and beyond that, it tends to scale up pretty, quick, you know, pretty um, slowly and then exponentially. So you'll start with um, you know, like 199 or 299 for 100 or 200 gigs. Right, that's you, Google One. They'll start you at exactly. uh, 100 gigabytes for two bucks a month. For three bucks, uh, let's see, up to two terabytes you can get for for 10 bucks a month, exactly. which is 
probably more than most people need. Yeah, I would well, say. a lot of that is upselling. It's these, these companies want you to buy more storage than you need because you might need it eventually, but it's just a really easy way to get you to pay more every month than maybe you need to. So I, I like the ones that essentially have you pay upfront for the year. Um, mm -hmm. Which would be more. You usually get a better deal that way. Yeah. Because it's either you pay 10 bucks a month or for $8 and change a month. If you pay all in up front for the year, you can get it for $100 a year, right? Exactly. And you can get those. Um, the, the big tech giants tend to want you to pay month to month um, and scale up as you need it. But then you have companies like Box and Dropbox that allow you mm -hmm. to essentially pay for the year. Um, and that's more about, it's also about what you need, whether you're using it more for documents, we're using it more for files and photos. Um, especially we'll talk, when we talk about deals, we'll talk about the unlimited photos that you get with different services. Yes. Jefferson, uh, what, what are your picks, a couple of them, for the best cloud services? If you're trying to be cheap, maybe you're single, you're not worried about your family or any extras, you just want to be able to back up all your stuff. So I'm thinking in the neighborhood of 500 gigabytes to a terabyte worth of storage, which is going to cost you... Well, you, you tell us how much we should expect to pay for that. Well, the cheapest and most economical service is Amazon, which is $60 a year for one terabyte. It's not as easy to use as the other services, and they've been known to change their terms midstream. <laughs> for instance, it was unlimited a year ago. I had five terabytes on there until I couldn't, and it was all deleted, and I had to, sh I had to go elsewhere. Um, so I say Google and Apple and Dropbox would be, as far as usability, would be the three, but Dropbox is twice as expensive as Google and Apple. I also need to, to point out that Google, when, you, when you're paying for your terabyte, it also includes your Gmail. Most people don't realize this, but uh, uh, I, for instance, somehow have 25 gigabytes worth of storage or uh, something like that. Something huge amount of storage is in my Gmail from all the years of Gmail. And the only way I can cut it down is to actually <laughs> spend, what do you think, 30, 60, 90 days deleting emails, <laughs> which I'm not prepared to do. So I'm going to spend the money. So you, you end up paying for the Gmail storage that you had been getting for free. So that's a cautionary note for some people out there. Now, we're going to get into um, the cases in which it actually makes sense to maybe go for one of the other providers. I am personally on Microsoft, which neither of you has mentioned yet. Um, it's partly because I have a family, but we're going to get more into that in the value segment. Uh, when we're talking about, again, the, the best deal, what are some of the pitfalls that people should watch, watch out for, besides having to all of a sudden pay for the storage in Gmail, which you might not have anticipated before? Rob? Right. Well, that's, uh, he mentioned a big one. You should always be watching that gauge to see um, which services are essentially taking up space that you didn't even realize. Gmail is an important one. Um, but you're right, it dep depending on the service, um, I mean, uh, he, uh, he mentioned Amazon um, Drive, which gives you, uh, which you get uh, with a free Amazon Prime membership. Um, it also gives you access to Amazon Photos. Google's the same way, giving you unlimited Google Photos, um, you know, unlimited Google Photo storage, which is important. But you also mentioned the family plans, which are interesting. I like the way that uh, these tech companies are starting to really, you know, treat it like a cell phone data plan almost, where um, Google allows you to add five um, family members up to the same plan. Uh, Microsoft does the same thing with Office 365, which is connected to OneDrive. Now it's six people total on Microsoft, yes, which is interesting. Six people total. Um, Apple does the same thing with iCloud. And those are, those are interesting deals, but it's also, um, 
you know, the, the deal might be not be as great as you think it is because essentially they're adding those users to your existing plan so that ultimately you're still going to have to upgrade to the, you know, that next, you know, gear of, you know, 500 gigabytes or terabytes. It's all about, uh, I mean, when you look at these, the, just the market value of these companies, they always tout in the earnings reports the software, the recurring software as a services revenue, which is, uh, I mean, that's, that's really the, it's the boon of a lot of the growth that we've been seeing. And a lot of that comes down to the enterprise, but on the consumer side, they're really banking on you continuing to scale up just as your digital life okay. expands. You okay. know, you're, you're, nobody's ever going down. In I, I should also mention Apple, by the way, the number two division at Apple is services. Absolutely. That, that's iCloud, Apple Music, and iTunes, but it's really the, those nagging messages every day that you've run out of room when you haven't really run out of room. <laughs> Jefferson, uh, I, I want to ask you about compatibility because that's something that people don't always think about up front. We talked about usability a bit, but some of this has to do with uh, maybe you've got a phone on one platform, an iPhone or an Android phone, but you've got a Windows PC or you've got a Mac, and th th there's some mismatch, perhaps, between the operating system platform and the, the provider of that and the provider of the cloud storage. So how well do they play together? How well does Microsoft's OneDrive play with the Mac, or does Amazon's Drive play with uh, Android and Google with okay. Apple, et cetera, et cetera? Okay, well, OneDrive, I'm a Mac user. OneDrive's all over Mac, so that's no problem. iCloud is, is, a, is a Mac system. It may work on Windows. I'm not, I'm not I don't. I don't believe it does. Yes. I could be wrong. It does. It does. Okay. Yeah. But but if you're <laughs> there's an app if, for that. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't work there, that great, but it works. Okay. Google obviously is both platforms as Android and iOS, and Dropbox would be the easiest to use of all of them because they have the best apps and the best usability. It's just twice as expensive as Google and Apple. You'll pay $100 a year for one terabyte versus two terabytes with the other platforms. And let me also mention that when one terabyte to, to the viewers right now sounds like a lot, it's not. You know, we're shooting 4K video on our phones. We're shooting three megabyte photos like crazy. People are taking pictures of their food. They're taking selfies. They're probably um, generating one to two gigabytes a week. Um, you know, multiply that by 50. Multiply that by a few years. You know, the data is huge, and we need the storage to save it. It absolutely is. Once again, this is Fort Knox, and we are talking about the best deals in the cloud. And I want to talk best value. Uh, let me make it clear right here. Nobody is paying us for this. There are no, you know, sponsors, clouds, any of that. To the extent that we're talking about what we personally use, it's just what we happen to personally uh, use. In my case... Uh, the most economical deal that I could find for my situation was Microsoft OneDrive because uh, they give you a terabyte per person for about 100 bucks a year. A terabyte per person in your family. Everybody doesn't have to be in the same household. So my mom, who lives in Maryland, is part of this deal. And you get access to Office apps on both your mobile devices and on your desktop, whether it's Windows or Mac. And the terabyte is separate to each person, so it's not like each person has to share this pool of data. Works for me uh, thus far. I haven't hit a terabyte yet. I suppose if I do, I could shove the data off into one of the unused <laughs> accounts if I want to get really creative. Rob, um, for, for situations where people are making a decision, platform decision for the entire family, how does that change the calculus? Yeah, well, that's the interesting part of the buying decision. You mentioned OneDrive is, is really good in that way, especially in how it's linked with Office 365. Google's been trying to do the same thing with Google One, which is why they've been you know, merging all of that together. 
But yeah, I mean, the, the platform decision really comes down to, I mean, it's something you have to think about when you're buying uh, you know, a new laptop or a smartphone or even the apps and services that you're considering. Mm -hmm. Because um, all that together is, you know, the, the, you really, the, the tech companies are trying to lock you into this ecosystem where once you buy one smartphone, you continue buying smartphones like the iPhones. Um, you know, anybody who's had an iPhone for more than a, you know, a year or two has definitely run into the cap. We've talked about the storage limits. You know, a lot of people call it kind of an Apple tax because it is after a while. And ultimately, it's very convenient. They don't, you know, you're not going to want to switch your services once everything is backed up on, you know, across all your devices, you know across what? your whole family. No, I refuse. Uh, Jefferson, I, yeah. I, the, the way I've got the cloud service set up on my phone, it uploads the photos and videos automatically when I'm connected to Wi-Fi. And that way, I can just delete what's on my phone. After I check and make sure it actually backed up to the cloud, I can delete it. So I don't need huge storage on a phone. I don't have to pay that Apple tax just to uh, get some ridiculous amount of storage because I like to take videos of my kids. I mean, okay, we, it, should, we, we should also mention that Google Photos is an app that lets you uh, upload everything for free uh -huh. from your phone. It's slightly lower resolution. I've, I'm a professional photographer as well. I've never seen um, any, any degradation of, of the image. So so you're in pretty great shape. You can get unlimited storage there. Uh, and, and if you get all the family members for OneDrive, that's great. Are they actually using it? Because I don't know that I get my wife and my mother um, using the backup services. I, I sort of have to do all the backing up for everybody. <laughs> yeah. That I can't guarantee. The user, you know, once I set you up, it's at your own risk. And, and, and you got to take care of yourself. But I can, I can say my mom's using it. She's definitely using the apps. My wife is using those as well. I mean, part of it is an ecosystem decision. It's easiest to go with the device that you already have. But Rob, to what, dis to what extent should people be thinking about, d do they like Google Apps or do they like uh, still Microsoft Office? And should that play into the decision of what cloud they subscribe to? Hmm. Uh, I think it should, especially uh, you mentioned the photos. Google Photos is great for, for that sort of thing. And also, I think, has the best kind of um, AI features underneath to kind of stitch your photos together into memories. Um, and as you mentioned, it's, it's unlimited. But with all these services, um, yeah, it really comes down to what you're using it for. I mean, I think I still think independently of the big vendors, Box and Dropbox are probably the best ones to go with, although obviously Dropbox is more expensive. But there's also other things to consider, like obviously right now data security and privacy. There are other services that PCMag has reviewed that um, are more expensive, but you know, give you more uh, data encryption during syncing and backup mm -hmm. and restore. Um, services like Spider Oak, for instance, you know, smaller vendors that you probably haven't even heard of. Um, but if you, it's there are people who obviously now with you know more privacy concerns around um, Google and other tech giants may not want to have their data locked into some of these larger providers, and that's really a preferential thing. Uh, um, I, I think a, an important thing to consider is how hard is it for you to get your image down from, from these sites. Mm. Dropbox is the easiest to, to find it and pull it down. Google, I pay for Google. I pay for Google Drive because it's really simple. I've got everything signed up with Google Photos and Google Drive. And, and as I told you, I don't want to spend three months going through my Gmail deleting things. Uh, Amazon, good luck. Good luck finding your photos there. Um, you know, if you're a Prime member, you can upload all your photos from your phone there, but it's 
they're very hard to find. It's not a very elegant solution. Dropbox is the best looking. Google Drive works. Uh, obviously, OneDrive works. And um, iCloud is a, a little spotty for finding your stuff. Though right. if you, if you, have, an, if you have an Apple, Apple TV. Yeah. 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 iCloud's yeah. very if spotty. If you're on Apple. Let's bring in, now's a good time uh, to bring in Jordan Novet. Once again, this is Fort Knox. We are talking about the cloud personal decisions about uh, where to spend your money, where to get the most bang for your buck. Jordan, part of this that we haven't touched on yet, but it's relevant, is if you've got Internet of Things, cameras around the house, say ring doorbell cameras, sometimes it makes sense if you're all in, say, the Amazon ecosystem to pay for Amazon storage there because the video footage from around your house ends up uh, in that system and you end up saving money, right? You know, John, I'm with you on OneDrive. I am not sure, though, that I'm with you on doing all these IoT devices quite yet. And so <laughs> what I'm doing is I'm just sticking with Google, and that's for the free tier. And I am with you guys when it comes to having to delete emails. I spent three hours a few weekends ago deleting very old emails, unsubscribing from so many people and companies that have been emailing me over these years. Taking Nobody up my wants space. to do that on a weekend. No one does. No. And you know what? I'm going to have to do it again this weekend. It's just a pain. And so at the same time, Google Drive has 1 billion users, more than any of these other services. And I really think that that is a point of scale that you're going to build on when it comes to monetization. Like Apple doesn't have iCloud on Android. Good luck getting that to happen. They say that they care about services, but really, do they? So I think with, with OneDrive, you're going to see that um, Availability with different plans. Uh, they are, you know, getting really close, if if not uh, exceeding Apple in market cap th uh, this week, today maybe. And, and that means the total uh, they, value of all the, the shares of stock, if you add them together, it's it's interesting how close uh, <laughs> Apple and Microsoft have gotten. Though, with yeah. the spike in the stock market today, I think Apple might be pulling back ahead. Okay, all right, that could be. But I would just say, who's building the better AI? Who is building more data centers? It's Google. Microsoft is up there as well. I just uh, want to stick with the Google services that are so easy to find your documents with, so easy to find photos with. I don't mess around with Box or Dropbox. They don't really know how to build data centers the same way that Google and Microsoft do. That's let, just me just, let me just say about Google is, let's not forget, Google search. There's a reason we use Google yep. search, because it's so good. So when I'm looking for <laughs> yeah. a picture from downtown Los Angeles and I type in downtown LA, I type in Felix Chevrolet, boom, there it is. Anything that it's you amazing. can come up with, nine times out of 10, it finds it. Good luck finding your stuff on Amazon or, or one of the other services. Amazon's user interface. OneDrive is so bad to find anything with too, I agree. Yeah, uh, I, I gotta say, Rob, though, um, maybe it's just me. I'm a little bit paranoid when it comes to some of these cloud providers. Uh, I, I like the idea of, of paying somebody to keep my data. I'm not sure I love the idea of Google knowing where all my photos were taken location-wise and exactly when, right. and developing this time-stamped view of everywhere I've been in my well, life. That's, that's why I don't necessarily care yeah, well, to be on Google, because it seems okay, like these platforms say they're doing one thing with the data, and then we find out sometimes they were right. doing something well, else. This is okay, but your alternative, your alternative is to buy a hard drive. And the problem with the hard drives <laughs> is that they fail. Okay, oh, no, no, no. I've had too many hard drives fail. I'm not saying I'm fail. not keeping it in the cloud. I'm saying I'm a little bit 
wary of the business model of the company that I'm trusting with the hoard of my data. Right. I like and you, to, and you trust I like to Amazon? put them in different buckets, so well, nobody's got so too much information. You're, you're hitting on the you're, you're hitting on the crux of you know the the reckoning that we've all been dealing with the past year or two as privacy issues have come to the fore. This bargain that we made with the internet a decade ago with free services that we've gave our, we gave our data to without really realizing the consequences of it, or really what the even the company is realizing what they might use it for five or ten years down the line, and we're doing the same thing now. Obviously. Um, we talk, we're talking a lot about Microsoft and Google, and they have the best AI, they have the most intuitive interfaces, the easiest apps, and that's the, because of the data. It's core to everything that they're doing. It's how they make it more contextual. It's how they make it more personalized. Um, but the, the flip side of that is obviously that you have to give up that privacy. At first, they just wanted One my thing. email address and to know what I was searching for, and now with maps and photo search, image search, all that, they, they want to know a lot, Jefferson. Uh, they do, and uh, but what's the alternative? Uh, you know, Amazon wants to know just as much. Microsoft wants to know about you. Eggs in uh, different baskets. That's my solution. I mean, so, here, so so you should be on Dropbox. Provider and you, you should know. be on Dropbox. You should have all your stuff on Dropbox. I do my searches on Google. Yeah. I keep my data in Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. I use an iPhone. Uh, Jordan, I give you the the last word uh, on this one. You, you were starting to get to this uh, before, but where do you place? your bets on who's going to come out best, not just on features, things like AI, but also on protecting the customer privacy-wise. Well, you haven't heard a single thing about a Google Drive hack the way that you've heard about iCloud photos getting hacked. Uh, and I would say with Google, they know security uh, pretty well at this point. When it comes to privacy, it's a different matter, and you all are right to discuss that. But my money, literally, I have the OneDrive subscription. And I would imagine they're going to get better, Microsoft, that is, at packaging up subscriptions people want and making them feel safe with their data, keeping it secure as well. So my bet is on Microsoft. I also am betting on Google. But uh, I'm not ready to pay for both. I pay for Microsoft. <laughs> I don't pay for Google. I am John Ford from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. Subscribe wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes. Leave me a note. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox series on LinkedIn. That's brand new, and it's a great way to keep up with the trends I'm seeing both on this Fort Knox show and in my other work on CNBC. It's also the absolute best way to be in touch with me. Leave a comment on the series. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube, F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com slash YouTube. Matter of fact, you can go to YouTube now and see video of this conversation. Or you can go to the CNBC apps on Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV and find Fort Knox in the featured areas. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or FortKnox.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.